Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. from eternity past that there would never be a mortal that was capable of rescuing his creation. And so he did it himself. He planned from the very creation of time to send forth Christ. That's why John looks at, at Christ in Revelation and says, Behold, a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You see, Jesus wasn't the second guess of God. Jesus was the only plan of God. The path taken by Jesus from his entrance into the world until his death and resurrection, it was a difficult road. Our path towards Jesus tends to be a rocky one as well. People didn't recognize who Jesus was, and we don't always recognize who we are outside of Jesus. But as Pastor David will teach us today, that realization can only come when we submit to the Savior, God with us. We'll come to understand what that means, why God would become a man for a world that rebels against him. Now here's Pastor David with part three of today's message entitled, What Difference Does a Virgin Make? The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Essentially, these preachers, these professors, these ministers, and yes, even church attenders that reject the virgin birth, they're saying, well, Matthew got it wrong. Matthew lied. Matthew made up a story. They're also calling Luke a liar because he tells the same story. Now, he doesn't reference Isaiah 7, but Luke does tell us that in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, how had this virgin become pregnant? The angel Gabriel had spoken to her earlier on. He says, or later, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. You see, in the, in the, in the dialogue that we find in Luke's Gospel, virgin means virgin. Not just young maiden, because a lot of people say, well, you know, that word can also be taken as young maiden. Okay, it can. But when Mary says, hey, <laughs> I've never known a man. How can this be? Well, she is saying, I'm a virgin. I've never had relations. How in the world is this going to happen? And so Gabriel comes and he explains that to her. It's going to be a supernatural event. 
It's going to be a God thing that's going to happen in your life that cannot be explained by any other natural means. Matthew agrees with that in, in his gospel. Gabriel tells Joseph, he says, don't be afraid to take Mary home with you as your wife because that which was conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Beloved, there's there's no way of, of getting around the fact that both of these gospel accounts are saying that Mary was not just a unmarried young woman. Fact is, she was a virgin. She had never known a man. And so if these gospels are so clear about Mary being a virgin, why would these preachers and these theologians and so many believers, even within our churches today, say that they are Christian and yet they deny such an obvious New Testament teaching? Well, it's because they don't believe it. When it comes to the virgin birth, they say, I can't believe that whatever that that's impossible how you know that's absolutely impossible how could that how could that even begin to happen you see they're they're using the logic of man to figure out the supernatural work of god they can't believe it and so it couldn't possibly have happened it's unreasonable it's unfathomable it never happened god just couldn't do something like that Well, if they can't imagine it, if they can't figure it out on their own understanding, they say that they serve God, but you know what? Theirs isn't a God that ever does anything really amazing. They don't serve a God with a capital G. They serve a God with a little g. And he is a very little God, incapable of doing the supernatural. There's a story about a a theology professor, one who did know God and trusted and believed in God. And as he taught through the years, as his students graduated, every once in a while they would be invited to come back to the seminary and and preach for one of the uh, meetings that they would have. And this this professor, whenever one of his students would come back, he would always go and hear his student teach. Just just one time, I, I just want to hear what they're doing now. Just want to hear from them. So one of them had returned after 12 years of being in the ministry, came back to preach in in chapel. And at the close of the meeting, the old professor came up to his former student. He kind of cocked his head and extended his hand to the guy, and he said, you you understand that if you come back again, I'm not going to come hear you preach. I only do that once. But I wanted to let you know that I'm glad that you are a big godder. He said, when my boys come back, I come to see if they are big godders or little godders. And then I know what kind of ministry they're going to have. Some people live their whole lives worshiping a little god, and they always have trouble with him. He can't do any miracles. He can't protect his Bible from errors. He doesn't intervene on the behalf of people. They have a little God, and I call them little godders. Then there are those that have a great God. This God speaks, and it's done. This God commands, and it stands fast. This God knows how to show himself strong on behalf of those who fear him. 
He says, you have a great God and he will bless your ministry. Those religious leaders, and I'm I'm thinking primarily in our country because I see our country just swirling downward continually. But those religious leaders that reject the virgin birth, they're definitely little godders. Their God can't do anything. He's, he's limited by the imaginations of these theologians, of these pastors, teachers, and church members. I won't even call them Christian because really and truly, I don't believe that you can be a Christian and not believe in the virgin birth. I believe that it's very paramount to what we believe. Because that's true, they end up being just like Ahaz. They, they don't really believe their God can do anything that they cannot imagine themselves. But they go through their religious motions. They pretend to be religious and pious when they're actually just telling God to take a hike. I'm taking care of this. I'll fix things myself. I'm glad you're there. Just don't interfere in my life. You might be saying, well, I understand all that. Big God, little God, so why should I really care? Why should the idea of Jesus being born of a virgin really and truly even even matter in the grand scheme of things? Well, it should matter. It should matter to you and I simply because it matters to God. It mattered enough to God that he put it both Old Testament and New. He speaks about it, proclaims it, makes it very clear. This is what God had prophesied. It's what God said. It's what God did. I don't have to understand it, by the way. I just have to realize that, yeah, it's important to God. Do you, do you realize that your pastor, who's been pastor here now for almost 25 years, there's a whole lot in this that I don't understand? I'll just make that confession to you. We won't record this tonight. We won't put it on air because I don't want to cause anybody any trouble. But there's a whole lot about this that I don't understand. I just have to flat out take my faith. I just say, wow, what an awesome God. I just can't imagine how he does that. And beloved, I think that that's how we all ought to be. We need to come to that point that, you know what? My God is greater than my understanding. And if God is small enough for me to put into my box, then you know what? I'm a little godder. I'm a little godder. The prophecy actually began, this virgin birth thing, actually began back in Genesis chapter 3. You ladies that went through Genesis with Todd, you understand that. You know that Adam and Eve, they, they were tossed out of the garden because of their sin. But before God evicted them out of the garden, God made Satan a promise. Did you know that? God made Satan a promise that he fulfilled. Yes, even to Satan. God tells Satan, that because you have done this, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity or hatred between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Her offspring will crush your head. You will strike his heel. And again, notice the prophecy didn't say that Satan's head would be crushed by the offspring of a man. It's the offspring of a woman. It's not even the offspring of a man and a woman. It's just the offspring of a woman. And to make clear on how unusual this was, you need to understand that the Bible very rarely, if ever, speaks of a child as the offspring of a woman. 
a child was almost always referred to as the offspring of the father. The son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, the apostle Paul picks up on this and he declares, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son. What? Born of a woman. Born under the law. Well, aren't all people born of a woman? Well, we understand physically we are, we are carried and delivered by the women. But the phraseology and what Paul is saying here is born of a woman, not man and a woman. Born of a woman. Now, why would the prophecy say it like that? Why was the Messiah to be born of a woman, not a man and a woman? That's because Jesus came to be our sin offering. And if Jesus had been born of a mortal man and mortal woman, he would have been mortal. Totally, completely, and not God. In this case, he is 100% human, 100% God. God didn't send a mortal to die for us. He didn't send a prophet. He didn't send a priest to die for us. He didn't send some nice guy to die for the sins of the world. God came down in human flesh and shed his blood for our sin. Think about it. If Jesus had been merely mortal, he wouldn't have been the perfect sacrifice needed to die for our sins. He would have had a sin nature in him, passed down through Adam. Paul talks about that in the book of Romans. A sacrifice, though, was required by God to be perfect, to be without blemish. He needed to be perfectly complete in every way. Totally perfect, totally good. Jesus himself said, there's only one who is good. And all the rest of us fall under, again, that condemnation that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, verse 23. So you know what? Even if you think that I wanted to, I could never die for your sins. Even as much as I love you and care for you, my death would mean nothing in covering your sins. There's, there's no way. And none of you could do it for any of the others. You know, I, I've heard of, you know, again, giving a life for a life, but that's not for sin. That does nothing to cover our sin. We cannot die for our other sins. We cannot die for our own sin because we have all sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. A perfect sacrifice has to be sinless and neither you nor I could ever be that perfect sacrifice. Only God is good. Only God is perfect enough to step into our place and die for our sin. And that's why speaking about the Messiah, Isaiah paints this really bleak picture in chapter 59, but then he also gives hope that's promised by God. Turn to Isaiah chapter 59. The prospects of all of our lives are absolutely dismal and bleak, okay? We have absolutely no hope in and of ourselves, and that's what Isaiah tells us here. But at the end of this, he says, ah, but there is hope. Not found in us, but found in the Messiah. Listen to it. I'm I'm just going to read through Isaiah chapter 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it can't hear. 
But it's your iniquities that have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies and your tongue has muttered perversity. Okay, now he's claimed all my sins here. I don't know when he's going to get to yours, but... uh... (laughs) In verse 4, it says, No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words, and they speak lies. They conceive evil. They bring forth iniquity. They hatch vipers' eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies, and from that which is crushed, a viper strikes out. Their webs will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity. The acts of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known, and there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. That pretty well hits all of us, doesn't it? In one way or another, some of us more than others, but it does hit all of us. Then it says in verse 9, therefore justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We, We look for light, but there's darkness, for brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as it is twilight, and and we're as dead men in desolate places. We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none for salvation, but it's far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us, and our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. And transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth has fallen in the street and iniquity cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. You see, there, there's got to come a time in every one of our lives that we actually realize who we really are. You know, the world says, oh, man, that's, that's kind of self-abasing. That's kind of, man, you, you, you need to have a better attitude. No, we need to have an honest look at who we are outside of Christ. Because until it comes to the point of confessing not only our sin, but our need for a Savior, the Savior does us no good. He doesn't become effective or efficacious for our sin until we come to that point of confession and repentance. Saying, I I know that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and I turn to you because the Lord cared enough about the wickedness that we read here in these earlier verses. He cared enough about the people that were filled with violence and filled with darkness that we have the balance of these verses. The second part of verse 15 says, Then the Lord saw it and it displeased him for there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor because they were all wicked, all had sinned, all had fallen short of the glory of God. There was nobody to stand in that gap. He saw that there was no man. 
He wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, according he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. The coastlands he will fully repay. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My Spirit who is upon you and my words which I put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your descendants nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time forevermore. He says, if you turn to me, I'll be your Redeemer. Otherwise, you remain again as the enemy and I'll come and I'll bring vengeance. That's the reality and the truth. That's the hope and the promise, though. God knew from eternity past that there would never be a mortal that was capable of rescuing his creation. And so he did it himself. He planned from the very creation of time to send forth Christ. That's why John looks at at Christ in Revelation and says, Behold, a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You see, Jesus wasn't the second guess of God. Jesus was the only plan of God. It wasn't that other things didn't work. No, God knew that the law would never work, that the law would show our great need. That's why he planned Christ at the perfect time. At at the fulfilled time, he sent Christ. He clothed himself in human form, and he came to die on the cross for our sin. But God did not send someone else. He did it for us because we couldn't do it ourselves. The angel declared that prophecy to Mary. In Matthew it says, this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him what, church? Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. That's the hope that we have. That's the promise that we have. That's the celebration that we have. Can you imagine Christmas without Santa Claus? Can you imagine Christmas without a 50% sale? Can you imagine Christmas without the glittering lights and the sleigh bells and all the noise and the traffic and the weirdness and the congestion? I could hope and pray for it that we could more focus in on the reality and the truth of Emmanuel, God with us. When Jesus was born of Mary, he was literally God with us. If he hadn't been born of a virgin, that it could have never been. Because he was born of a mortal woman, he was completely human. But because he was also born of the Holy Spirit, he was completely God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the people who reject the virgin birth, they reject the very Word of God. They don't believe that Jesus could be born of a virgin simply because God couldn't do that. 
On behalf of Pastor David Landry and the production team here at The Open Word, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This has been a special edition of The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all of the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com, click on the podcast option on the home page, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. And again, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.